early, I said, I'm going to change, be somebody who helps contribute to this conversation where we stop thinking about mothers as if we're some kind of like, again, second class citizen or weaker or where our role is not respected with the respect that it deserves and treated with the respect that it deserves and the admiration that it deserves and do something myself to help my friends through that own fear and anxiety that we didn't have to just accept that our identity was going to be erased or that people weren't going to see us anymore. Um, But that motherhood was a part of our identity if we wanted it to be. And it didn't make us a completely different person. We didn't lose all the things we cared about before, but they very clearly contributed to our motherhood. Hi, I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm thrilled to sit down with author, advocate, and educator, Anna Malika Tubbs. When I was about six years old, my mom started working the night shift as a nurse. I remember I didn't take it very well. Before she left, she would tuck me into bed at night and read me a story, but it wasn't enough. When she got up to leave, I cried, I begged, I screamed. All I wanted was her. In the morning, I'd wake up and she'd just be getting home from working all night. She'd make me breakfast and tell me stories about her patients, and then she'd play My Little Ponies until I went to school. Now that I'm a mom, I see these memories so differently. I see a strong woman juggling a job she loved and a family she cherished. I imagine how much guilt she must have felt walking out the door while I was screaming in the other room. I wonder how exhausted she was when she put on a smile to play with me every morning. But most of all, I see an incredible role model, someone who quietly and gently taught me that all along, I had the strength, the love, and the passion to be a working mom too. And I will always be grateful for that. In her groundbreaking debut, The Three Mothers, scholar Anna Malika Tubbs celebrates Black motherhood by telling the story of the women who shaped three civil rights icons. Anna's book shines a light on the mothers of Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and James Baldwin as activists, fighting racism and inequality, and as humans, raising Black boys with joy and resilience. Throughout this journey of researching and writing the book, Anna herself became a mom, and she is a force. Anna connects to these three women through their shared experience as Black women, as mothers, and as humans. Well, welcome to Work Like a Mother. I'm so excited to be chatting with you. I cannot believe that you are moving amidst everything that you have going on. Thank you for having me. It's a lot going on, but you know, it's a lot of fun. At the same time, we're excited for a new chapter and it'll be exciting for our kids, especially a new place for them. So that's wonderful. And so you just mentioned kids and I know that you had 
your son maybe is a little over a year months ago. Yeah. He's almost 17 months. Yeah. And then we have another one on the way in August. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're very, very, very excited about it. How are you feeling? Pretty good. I'm in my second trimester. You know, the first trimester was right around, you know, a month before the book was released. And then, you know, like during the initial parts of the release. So I was very sick. I'd have some mornings where I woke up, threw up and then got on an interview. Um, But that's, you know, that's normal. It's part of the whole process. And luckily, I think I have had two very manageable pregnancies, not too much to complain about. Uh, but you know, your, your energy is completely zapped that first trimester and you kind of forget what everyone says, what my mom always said, you know, you'll forget, you'll forget. I was like, I'm not going to forget this. And then lo and behold, I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and you just hit that wall. Like that tiredness is like nothing else. It's literally like your body is just saying, stop. You, can, yeah. you can't go any further. You must rest. And you kind of forget, I think with the second pregnancy that you're pregnant, because you're so focused on your kiddo and everything else that you might be doing that I would do all this work and I would sign up for all of these commitments. You know, they're all virtual, but still it's exhausting. And then by the end of the day, I would just feel so drained, you know, like I could barely stand up kind of thing. And I'm like, what's going on? Oh yeah. I'm also growing a human being and I need to chill. (laughs) Wow. And um, well, so you just shared that your when remind me of the timeline of when did the book come out and you were in which trimester? First trimester, it came out February 2nd. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Absolutely. So the book is called The Three Mothers, um, How the Mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and James Baldwin Shaped the Nation. And it's about Alberta King, Burtis Baldwin, and Louise Little, and telling their life stories even before their children were even thought of. I start from the beginning of where they were born and thinking about their communities and their background and their parents as well. And then we move forward into understanding how they formed their identities, their passions, their talents. So even early on in the book, if you're a fan of the three sons, you'll start to see how the mother's stories and their identities influenced what their children would become for the world. Um, And then we only really get two chapters on the sons because the mothers are the stars of the show. And then we even get to know them beyond their son's lives. Unfortunately, all three of them outlived their sons. Um, And I speak to their grief with that, as well as their perseverance in believing they still had work to do on this earth. How did you become interested in this topic? I started my PhD wanting to join other scholars who were addressing the erasure of Black women's stories. I was really inspired by Margot Lee Shetterly's Hidden Figures. And for those who haven't read the book, of course, the movie became extremely popular. Um, But the way in which it not only changed our understanding of something in American history, but how we can think about the United States today. And you also had to think about, it forced you to think about the strategy behind keeping these stories kind of hidden um, and locked behind closed doors. Why would we keep this really magnificent and brilliant story about these talented black women from public knowledge? And so I wanted to go finding other hidden figures. That was my initial inspiration. Mm. And unfortunately, that left me a huge landscape to choose from. Black women are 
often erased, often unrecognized, often uncelebrated for the incredible feats that they're accomplishing, not only for our families, but for our country. And I started to narrow it down by thinking of the many layers of erasure that I could address. So one of those came definitely in the civil rights movement. We so often speak about this part of American history from the perspective of male leaders. There's a lot more written about the male leaders of the movement than anybody else. And so I knew I was going to do something around the civil rights movement. Then I started to think about roles in society that are overlooked, underappreciated, um, who require and I think deserve much more celebration and credit. And of course, motherhood came to mind. And this was before I was pregnant with my son, before I was a mother myself, but something that I just always recognized. My own mom often said to me, when women and mothers are doing well in a community, that community will do well. But if their needs are being ignored, if they are not being given the support that they deserve or require, then that community as a whole is going to hurt. And so I think probably because of how much she taught me, it was always at the back of my mind. And I'm always about highlighting women and thinking specifically about Black women's stories. And so I, I knew I was going to do something around motherhood and the civil rights movement. And then I finally narrowed it down to these three because Alberta, Burtis, and Louise were all born within six years of each other. And their famous sons were all born within five years of each other. So then there was this really cool timeline and these intersections in their lives that I can speak mm -hmm. about where I was going to present world history through the eyes of these three incredible Black women. You write in the final you know, pages of the book that it is only a disservice when we hide ourselves, when our children do not know what we have gone through and how we survived it, when we allow others to define who we are. It's such a powerful statement and such a reminder of how we should share our lives, our struggles, our joys with our children. Yeah. What other learnings did you have along the way as you were going through this journey to become a mother while covering these incredible mothers in your book? Yeah, that was definitely number one in terms of the fact that I think so many moms feel this need to come across as if we are superhuman or as if we don't need the same attention as other people do or that we don't need to be celebrated or given credit. We want to kind of take a step back or because that's really what society has told us to do. They, you know, in many different ways, we're told, okay, women, like this is kind of like a second class role and you should be proud of the fact that you're just in the background, like holding everything up without being celebrated. And that is something I want to completely take apart and take down as women and as mothers. It's okay for us to say to our children, you know, I am choosing day in and day out to support you and to think about the ways in which I can make your life better. And this is why it matters to me. And here are other things that I'm also passionate about. I want you to see me as this full human being who I am. And I think it helps them um, also have an understanding, not only of you, but of how the world really works. It's even from the more, you know, technical things of if they watch you put effort into making a meal or making sure your house is clean, or, you know, you go to your job and you tell them about what you work on day in and day out. Um, or even if you stay at home and you want to just tell them what you care about, what you dream about, what you're passionate about, 
then they say, oh, okay, the world doesn't work where there's some like magical person that suddenly is just like everything is picked up and there's like a meal on the table because how are they themselves going to become adults or even have an understanding of the world? So even on that end, it's really important. Um, And especially when I think about communities of color and groups who have been marginalized and how women have carried the burden of that very specifically in Black communities, it's important for all of us who have come after them to know how they not only survived, but found joy in their lives. And we want to humanize them in that way as well. Um, And so as a mother, it's been very important to me. I mean, my son is very young, so there's not much understanding he has, you know, of who I am as a person quite yet, Mm -hmm. but it's crucial that I want him to grow up knowing my mom had a really big influence on my life. My mom is someone who is powerful and who is strong and through her caretaking capabilities for me, as well as through her passions for everything she does, even outside of nourishing me, she formed me as a person alongside um, my father. And so I think that is something that I carry with me each step of the way. Um, And my partner and I speak about that the way we are showing ourselves to our child. Mm -hmm. Um, It's important. It's just important, not only for our own happiness, but I think for his as well. And I think he'll have a better understanding of, of humanity. And I think it's something that these three famous sons gained in terms of understanding their mothers, their mothers were very open and very vulnerable. You know, they, their children saw them cry. Their children saw them worry. Their children saw them celebrate. Um, And I think as much as they could have been celebrated even more within their families, what I found was that it was clear that they were important and they had important contributions to make. It was more in history that we erased that part of the men's stories. And as you think about your own life, what are some of the lasting lessons that your own mother taught you? So many. I mean, my mom continues to teach me (laughs) day in and day out, especially as I became a mother myself, you know, and she came to spend time with me before my son was born and um, several months after. But I carry so much of what, here are some tangible things that she did. When we were little, she always made sure that we thanked her (laughs) for things. And we kind of make fun of it now because like we didn't really see our our friends' parents do this. But my mom was very clear that if, you know, she drove us to ballet practice, there needed to be a moment where we said, thank you, mom. And thank you for driving me here. Because she said, you know, I could be doing something else with my time. You know, I am your mother. I want to give to you. Of course, you know, like it wasn't necessarily your choice to be born, but at the same time, I'm doing what I can and I'm thinking each day and day, day in and day out, how I can help you on your own journey. And so I don't have to do any of this. She would always say that. So you have to at least acknowledge that I've done something for you and thank me. So in our family, there's mm-hmm. constant thank yous, thank you, thank you. And it's a back and forth. It's the same. If we would do something to help her, she would say thank you and acknowledge that effort. And it was such a small thing that didn't cause any pain for us. But from the very kind of early stages of my life, I was aware that my mom was a human being. She wasn't a superhuman who was performing these magical works um, and had this capability that nobody else had to get things done. Instead, we acknowledged her um, constantly. So that's something that I definitely carry with me. I also was incredibly inspired by the fact that my mom herself is not a Black woman. She's a white woman. And she still was very aware that my life 
was going to be very different than hers. She was aware that her children were going to be seen differently, treated differently. And she didn't necessarily try to hide that fact from us, but instead walked with us by our side in that journey and in that kind of learning that she needed to do in order to understand how to best support us um, and how to even integrate that into her own work, advocating for children and women's rights um, all over the world, as well as in the U.S. And it's something that I always honor her for. And I understand even better now that I'm older and see that not many people know how to be good allies. And my mom was always an incredible one. So I continue to see even even though I acknowledged her humanity early on, I still see more and more each year how much she was doing even beyond what I was already thanking her for. There are so many learnings that I'm taking away from that, especially with, I have two little ones. I have a three and a half year old and an almost one year old. I think kids really force you to kind of take a step back and look at yourself, you know, almost like from their perspective, how are you speaking to each other? What's your body language around each other? How are you showing appreciation? How are you teaching them? Like we say, you know, as sociologists, the family is the first society that we witness and children will learn what society is supposed to look like based off of their family. And of course, they'll gain experiences outside of that where they can compare and decide for themselves how they might in the future lead their own family. But it is really important when we think about, you know, even feminist practices or when we think about how as a country we want to try to move away from antiquated notions of gender roles. Um, it starts in our relationship, especially in heteronormative relationships of how we're communicating as partners um, and how we're supporting each other and how we're splitting work. So yeah, when you take a step back from a child's perspective, there's a lot for us to learn about our relationships in general. I loved the last line in your mother article where you say, mothers epitomize power, strength, and influence, and it is time they are treated as such. Can you speak to your view and perspective of motherhood and what inspired you to share those words? Definitely. It's something that, so I had my son when I was, I guess I'd be 26 or 27. I'm losing track. I'm 28 now. Um, but so many of my friends, when I told them, you know, we're, we're ready, we're even trying, we're going to try for a child, you know, the year before we tried, um, they were so worried. They were like, this is, oh my gosh, it's too early. You know, like Anna, moms lose their identities and they're not, you know, seen as their own person anymore. And a lot of fears came out from so many of my friends. And as much as I knew how kind of on a societal basis, we, again, mothers were mistreated, I would say, and underappreciated. And again, like kind of relegated to these roles where women often feel you almost sometimes have to hide your pregnancy because you're going to be seen differently at work or, you know, all these different things that come up um, to hear it from my friends beyond what I was studying was really shocking and also very sad to me because in my experience of becoming a mother, one, I had a mom who was extremely, you know, again, strong, powerful, very much a caretaker. So she showed how both these like feminine and masculine qualities were influential, important, powerful, strong. And you could take from, from both and from everywhere um, to create your own identity as a mother. And so one, that, that was really influential for me, but two, that I was studying these women and also researching a lot around 
um, liberatory parenting and the kind of powerful uh, role of motherhood, again, especially in, in Black communities. Um, and I wanted more people to have that perspective that I did where I knew I wasn't going to be kind of, you know, pushed aside no matter how, how much someone would try. Early, I said, I'm going to change, be somebody who helps contribute to this conversation where we stop thinking about mothers as if we're some kind of like, again, second class citizen or weaker or where our role is not respected with the respect that it deserves and treated with the respect that it deserves and the admiration that it deserves and do something myself to help my friends through that own fear and anxiety that we didn't have to just accept that our identity was going to be erased or that people weren't going to see us anymore. Um, but that motherhood was a part of our identity if we wanted it to be. And it didn't make us a completely different person. We didn't lose all the things we cared about before, but they very clearly contributed to our motherhood. And it's something that I saw again, really clearly in Alberta, Burtis and Louise, everything you learned about them in those first few chapters you see so clearly in the way they raise their own children. And it's something that I want more of us to feel less of this stark. Now I'm a completely different person, but more of if we choose to, this is a growth in who we are. Well, and I love how you also talk about, um, as you were just doing, that it's not, it's not just up to a mother to, to do that, that it's really about society and our communities stepping up to that challenge to shift that narrative and to provide that support to help women on this journey rather than relegating them to the sideline for them to figure out themselves. Exactly. And it's something that we've seen in this pandemic. You know, it's one thing for a woman to say, I'll be able to keep my job and take care of my child and do all the things and feel like even when I'm on a Zoom call, my child's not going to run behind me or something like this, you know, versus a, a, a workforce that says we will have nets to catch our moms and our working moms and we'll make sure that they can still be part of the workforce or We'll think about ways in which we can support them or be flexible with them. You know, this is why so many women, especially women of color, have left the workforce during a pandemic. And that's not something that only hurts them. It hurts our entire economy. It hurts all of our businesses who are losing women who want to participate. And it's it's something that we need to pay more attention to. And it's made it very clear and has highlighted this once again. It's not only women saying, I can do it all. <laughs> it's we're going to live hopefully in a society that not, you know, doesn't force us to do it all, but allows us options mm-hmm. where we can have flexibility, um, where we meet not only the needs of our family, but our own personal needs, as well as our desire maybe to make more money for our families or to contribute to our families in that way. Um, so I completely agree with that. I cannot fully imagine being the book, being pregnant, having a toddler, moving. How do you make this juggle work? Yeah, you know, and it's so interesting. I'm also finishing my PhD and then I have, like have another book that I want because like writing is my passion. So I'm like, when am I going to find the time to write my next book? <laughs> um, but for me, there's one, there's a couple different things I could say that. One is I take it day by day. I try to 
remember that a lot of the deadlines, I have a privilege that I can make money with my writing and so many writers can't say the same. So it's something that I definitely have to acknowledge. I'm at a point now in my career where I get to choose when I will and will not work. And that's really something that's huge. You know, when I had my son, I was able to take at least like three months away and things were still happening on my behalf. You know, we sold the foreign rights to the book and that my agent was doing all of that. So it's something that for me is definitely a privilege. I need to acknowledge that so many of us do not have in terms of nets that support us and that catch us. But it's also really difficult for me now because I have these competing desires of what I want to do with my time. I absolutely love spending my time with my son. I love learning as he learns and seeing the world through his eyes and being there for all those moments. I think so many of us feel really sad if we miss out on something. I'm really excited that my career is taking off in a lot of ways and people are looking forward to what I have to say and want me to write more op-eds and want me to put more books out there. But I also really want to be with my second baby while my second or my first is in preschool. Um, I just don't just So those, those things I really struggle with. So I try to just take it day at a time um, and really say to myself, a lot of the deadlines that I've put in place are things I've made up on my own, you know, like that I need to do this by this age, or I need to get this thing done by this day. That's not necessarily the case for me. It's a privilege that I have. So I do have to say, okay, I'm going to take a step away from that. You're doing a lot. Mm -hmm. Be proud of what you're doing. Um, And also just maybe kind of shift the timeline a little bit in my own mind if need be. But then secondly, I also ask for supports when I need it. And I have another privilege that I spoke about in that article that you mentioned where I have a community around me that supports me. My husband is very supportive. Uh, my in-laws are very supportive. And we have the privilege to pay for childcare when necessary. So also admitting to myself, okay, I need this help. So then I think about how those privileges should translate to something larger. All women should have these choices, this flexibility, this um, you know, access to quality childcare. It should be universal. We should have this base income. It's something that my husband talks a lot about um, as an advocate for universal basic income. So it's really in my mind, I think about the privileges that I had in my son's first 17 months of life and how we translate that to something larger. Because I know how hard it is for me to have these competing desires, but I also have all these supports in place. So I can't really almost fathom how difficult it is for others who have the competing desires without those supports in place. So it's something that I want to translate from my experience to help make that universal through policy. Wow. That is really remarkable how much not only you've been able to think about your own experience and the challenges and the rawness, right? And what you just shared that you haven't figured it all out and you're still taking it day by day and, and learning as you go, but to take those learnings and to think about how they expand broadly to all mothers is really remarkable. Oh, thank you. How do you manage it? How do you balance it all? Um, <laughs> your, your answer really made me reflect as well. And um, when I read your article about my privileges, I'm so fortunate to be able to afford childcare, as you were just saying, to, uh, we share a two family house with my in-laws. Um, oh, so amazing. we have a tremendous amount of support. I love that. I mean, it's something, even what you're describing is how a lot of other communities work abroad. You know, I think about Donna, my dad is Ghanaian and 
you know, we visit at least once a year. And this is really what it is. It's this like village. When we say it takes a village to raise a child, that's not just a saying. It's everybody's participating and we're helping. So the burden doesn't just fall on one person. That's a very kind of Western practice. And I think as Americans, we've made that even more so because we're we're very individual. We're very, you know, any person can have the American dream, you know, and like work really hard for that, despite whatever is, you know, acting against them. But that also puts all the pressure on that individual. Mm-hmm. It's never about what are the supports in place for all of us to be able to achieve the American dream and having a community of loved ones around us. That's really normal. But a lot of moms in the U.S. feel like there's something wrong if I say, hey, mom or hey, mom-in-law, can you take care of him for the day? Mm-hmm. Because I just want to sleep, <laughs> you know, or I just like need to go to yoga or something like that. Or I have some work that I need to get done. Whatever the reason is, we feel a sense of, but this is my child and I should be able to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And it's so liberating to say, this is our child, this yeah. family's child, <laughs> this community's child. Let's all contribute so that I'm not running on fumes. I think that's so true. I just was speaking to another mom who is moving in. They're moving into like a multifamily house with two of their friends who also have kids the same age. And they're because they are building this community and realized how they all don't have family nearby. And so they said, we're going to create this opportunity where we can share the the workload, where we can share, you know, the joys and the the challenges and all of that together. And it was, it was this eye-opening moment as she was explaining it. And I was just thinking to myself, yeah, why, like, why don't we do that? Why (laughs) Why don't we? There's so many places where, you know, instead of the, the notion of you need to move out and find your own home, you build another unit onto the building. So like, I think especially, you know, my mom spent a lot of time doing work in Kuwait. Um, and when I would visit her, we would meet families who she worked with. And this was the model. It was like, you started with this plot of land, the initial kind of family unit had this, <laughs> this house, and then their children would build onto the house. You have these like, like beautiful, like huge mansions where generations of families families live together and there's always somebody to support. And it's really great for our children to learn from their grandparents. There's all of this knowledge that they're gaining and it's healthy for grandparents. There's, you know, a lot of studies that say that they'll live longer if they're communicating with children in their lives. Um, So it's just good all around. And if you think back to your pre-mom life, to your (laughs) pre-mom self, what advice would you give to that woman? Oh goodness. You know, I think it's something that a lot of moms say, but it's like, you have time and you're not as busy as you think you are, (laughs) but (laughs) mainly because you, you, we all think we're so busy. You know, there's like this obsession of like, I'm so busy and I'm so stressed and I'm so tired. Um, And now when I, you know, even talk to my friends who don't have kids, I don't say this directly to them, but you have to kind of laugh about it because they're like, Oh, I don't know. Like I'm balancing all these things. And you're like, you have no idea <laughs> what balancing is <laughs> until you're running after a toddler um, while also trying to do your work and do the things that you care about, et cetera. So that's one thing I would say, kind of just like enjoy that individual time that you have to just kind of sit and even, you know, drink a cup of coffee without someone trying to put their hand in it. <laughs> um, and, but also just to, you know, I think I'm, I'm really happy also with 
how my partner and I communicated around when we were ready um, mm-hmm. to have a child. I think a lot of people feel like it's just some kind of milestone that they need to hit versus it being something that we, you know, as a family have decided, or even a woman on her own decides, mm-hmm. I want to be a mother now um, because of whatever reason we have versus it being, it's just now time, you know, like we're married. Okay. And now we need to have a child. Like, let's check that off the list. And my partner and I had a lot of time together before we started to even talk about it. And as much as we're young, you know, some depends relative. Some people say we're young, whatever. (laughs) Um, We had time to think about it and we felt very, um, prepared for that decision. So I'm grateful for that. Cause again, it's not always something that, um, everybody feels that they're kind of allowed to have a conversation mm-hmm. about versus just feeling obligated to move on to whatever the next step is. And I think for me, had it not felt like my choice and I decided this was my time as hard, as wonderful as motherhood is, of course, it's also very difficult. It changes so many different things. Um, so had I felt like it wasn't, I wasn't prepared Yet, I think I, it would have been really difficult, I think, for me to enjoy how much I, I like love being a mom. I love every minute of it. And I just think that a lot of women, unfortunately, don't have that same experience. It's something also that just isn't talked about, right? I feel like you hear, I mean, there's probably a whole commentary about how people don't often talk about the, the challenging parts of relationships overall, but yeah. some of these big decisions and conversations, it's not something that's, that's discussed. What did those conversations look like for you? And yeah. my partner? Yeah, we, yeah. I mean, we talked about some of the things. One was that we would have money and what we needed to take care of our child. I had no idea what I was going to feel like in terms of how much time I'd want to spend with my child. So I was very realistic about that as well. I, you know, I was like, I may want to take some time off and just be with our kiddo, but I may also absolutely hate being alone at our house with a child. And I need us to have a budget for full-time childcare. If I decide that I don't want to be at home all day long. And, you know, I read a bunch of different stories of different experiences and I'd also witnessed it in my family. You know, my mom was somebody who, never wanted to give up her work. She wanted to continue working and kind of go back to work as quickly as she could. Um, And mainly because she saw as her career and everything she'd built up as a lawyer, that as a woman, so many people had told her, you're not supposed to be a lawyer. And when she got pregnant, it was this, you know, all these pressures that she felt. So she was like, I need to get back as quickly as possible kind of thing. My sister, on the other hand, my older sister is 10 years older than me, is also a lawyer, very (laughs) brilliant, very smart. When she had her first child, she said, I love motherhood so much. I'm not going back to work. And so she decided I'm staying home and now has her three kids and absolutely loves it. And so I had these two examples already in my own personal life. (laughs) I was just like, I don't know which one I'm going to be. So we need to be ready either way. And for me to remind myself of the things that mattered to me um, before I even became pregnant. So getting my yoga practices in, you know, throughout the week and making sure I had time to write. So prioritizing those things. So I didn't find myself later feeling like I'd lost things along the way. Um, And then saying very directly and saying to my partner, like, and I, I mean, it shouldn't have been a surprise to him because I am like very, you know, feminist and forward in so many ways. So it really felt just more like a growth of a general part of my identity where we're going to do things as much as possible equally. We're going to talk about ways in which we can balance things out. And I think, especially in heteronormative relationships, men need to have that mentality going into it so that they're not 
shocked or surprised when they're being called upon. And a reminder that, again, I'm going through so much that you will never be able to do with me or (laughs) you can't be pregnant with me. You can't push a child out of your body with me. But what can you do to constantly support me so I don't feel alone in this experience? Um, And those conversations were crucial. Wow. Well, I could talk to you forever. (laughs) Um, I have learned so much in our conversation. You've made me just think about things so differently as well. And really given me this sense of pride and accomplishment that I didn't, that I don't think, at least for me, I always think about, right. I don't think about all of those, those moments of motherhood that, um, are noteworthy, even if they don't feel like it, especially in, in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. You've given me a lot of inspiration for more op-eds I want to write. <laughs> well, so. I cannot wait to read it um, <laughs> when you write it. And I wish you a easy delivery. I, I hope the rest of your pregnancy goes well. Um, and I can't wait to hear about the arrival of your, your newest edition. Thank uh, you. Work Like a Mother is produced by Neighbor Schools. Neighbor Schools is a startup in Boston that I co-founded in 2018 to help parents find daycare. As a first-time parent, finding childcare can feel scary and intimidating. At Neighbor Schools, we help you find daycare you'll feel really good about so you can go back to work with the peace of mind that your little one is getting the socialization, support, and stimulation they need to learn and grow. We've helped thousands of moms and dads figure out the daycare search. Check us out at neighborschools.com. And when you get in touch, mention that you discovered us on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.